When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. the podcast to be named later here on the DK Pittsburgh Sports Podcasting Network. He is Jerry Krugar. I am Alex Stump. Here for another weekly installment, Jerry. How's it going? It's great, Alex, but we were humbled this week, weren't we? I, I was humbled a lot by this game that I cover and allegedly know anything about. Yeah, it doesn't seem like you know much about baseball, or at least postseason baseball, but hey, I don't I, know ball. we cover the Pirates, so once every 20 years um we get to see the playoffs for three years in a row and then anguish in those three years but yes so i i picked the white Sox to win the world series that's not happening i (laughs) i got burned because people who listen to this way back in, I can't remember, very end of March, who also know that my initial World Series pick was the Twins. So I, I, I just don't know ball, and I'm never picking another American League Central team to ever win another series of postseason baseball. I'm just, I, I disavow that entire division. That's impressive, Alex. I mean, your rivalry with the AL Central because you just don't know them um is phenomenal i've covered them pretty exclusively you know for interleague the last two years uh but yes that's them playing the pirates it's much different than them playing you know i i houston that's that's fair in my white Sox world series pick 100 did stem from whenever i saw them in chicago and yes i know they weren't going to be playing the pirates but they just looked damn good all the way throughout that's like yeah this team craig kimbrell you know liam hendricks you're not gonna score any runs on that bullpen well guess what alex you stupid jerk (laughs) they they give up what was it five runs in game two game four they just got absolutely schlacked It, it was it was bad i'm done talking about my postseason picks right now though because we had a really exciting game five of the NLDS between the Dodgers and Giants. And I think it's safe to say that was the best series of the postseason so far. That'll probably be the best series this entire postseason. 
it's it's whack that you know those two teams had to go up against each other so soon right and <laughs> only 23 teams in the history of major league baseball have won 106 regular season games those two faced off in the ds in the nlds which is wild obviously the dodgers had to to win their way uh wild card you know then they get to the next round in advance and you know that's kind of the, the crazy thing about um about the major league baseball playoff system because i mean if you remember back a couple of years ago when the pirates and they in the NL Central were almost in, well, I mean, they had three, the three best records in yep. the league and the 98 win team had to play the 97 win team just to get to the next round of the playoffs and a one game series. Like, so, you know, the, the CBA is expiring. Um, do you expect there to be some changes to the playoffs? You know, the, the changes they want to the playoffs, like the owners have floated for a while, the seven teams for each. So 14, and, you know, you get to pick who you play in, in a series. And I, I don't I don't think that last one's going to happen. I don't think there's going to be an expanded postseason either. Not saying I have inside information of how, you know, the conversations between Tony Clark and Rob Manford are going right at this very second. I just don't see the players yielding on that. And I feel like that's an issue they could probably win on losing battle maybe in the long run, but for right now, I think they keep the five team. The only change I would personally like to see is getting or changing seedings, how you determine seeds, because it is ridiculous that a team could, how many games did Atlanta win this year? 86? Somewhere around there. Yeah. Thereabouts. They got an automatic trip to the divisional series while the 106 win Dodgers had, had to duke it out. Like that's, that's just wrong. I don't like that. I, the way I would do it is if you win the division, yes, you get a chance at a playoff. You, you automatically are in the playoffs, but then the seating is based off of record. So the Dodgers with 106 wins would be the number two seed and the uh, Atlanta and the Cardinals would have had to duke it out in the quote unquote wild card game. It's it's ridiculous that reward that the league rewards geographical location for for seating, in my opinion. Yeah, and the Pirates are in the cent- the central of the National League, and they're not really centralized at all, to be honest with you. Um, but I mean, if they're further east than than Atlanta is. <laughs> yeah, right. Or, or Cobb County. I'm sorry. That's right. Got got to respect the Cobb County Braves, and. I mean, I think, you know, if you look at an extended or expanded playoffs, it means more money for the league. It means more revenue for the owners, more games for the players, which is the trade-off there. Um, so I don't know that, I mean, if that, I don't know how I would expand it. The trade-off for that though, is a, a division title is inherently worth less because right. you're not fighting for five playoff spots, you're playing for seven. Why would you go out and sign that free agent? Why would you go and try to make that big trade at the deadline? It's Let's just go back to American League pennant, National League pennant, best records, go back to the World Series. But I do think – I think they should reseed, but I would reseed after the wild card game. Uh, obviously, I think you do have to put a little bit of stock into winning the division, no matter how bad that division might be. I mean, the NL East was a tire fire for most of the year, um, and, and there are some divisions that are better than others. 
but I think what I would do is I'd, I would reseed after every round. And if you reseed after every round, I think that's fair. Um, because then you reseed after, let's say, the, the Dodgers get there. Then, hey, guess what? You know, the, um, the Braves are at the bottom. They're the four seed, right? Then they get to play San Francisco. And, and it just changes things. And I think, you know, I, you want to, you want to have a little bit of balance, but I mean, obviously the, with the wild card, it, it makes it difficult because you're the next bet, the next two best teams. Uh, and the wild card, I like the one as much as like, I think I go back and forth on this pretty much every day. I like the one game playoff because I like the drama and I like the excitement of it. It's good theater. It's good baseball. It's do or die. It, it, it's everything out there for, for 27 outs. And I think that's what's really cool about that. So I wouldn't change that, but I would reseed after the wild card round and then finally um, figure that out. Hey, we're going to take a break right now. Whenever we come back, Jared, you, you just got this entire second segment ready to go. Why would I introduce this interview? Right. Take a step back, Alex. I got this from here. I sat down with John Moses, uh, Director of Communications and Broadcasting with the Outside Curve, and we discussed uh, quite a bit of things, and you'll catch up what uh, what we talked about here right after this break on the Pirates Podcast to be named later on the TK Pittsburgh Sports Podcasting Network. Welcome back to the podcast to be named later. Uh, this is your host, Jared Prigar, and I'm with John Moses, uh, Director of Communications and Broadcasting for the Altoona Curve. John, thanks as always for joining us today. Thanks for having me, Jared. When are we uh, going to name this podcast? Uh, listen, we don't know when we're going to name it, uh, but it will be named later. That's that's all I can tell you at this point. It's it's kind of secret, um, much like most of the things this offseason uh, as far as moves go for the Pittsburgh Pirates. That's fair. But I, I look forward to my next appearance on this podcast with a name for the podcast. Uh, listen, uh, beggars can't be choosers, but I guess we're going to find that out. But John joined us on Young Bucks a while back at the beginning of the season. So we figured this is a great time to have him on. Now that the season is over. The Arizona Fall League has now begun. Now, John, you got to see O'Neill Cruz play all year. How did you see him develop um, even with the injury? I mean, I was a little surprised at how smooth he was at shortstop. I mean, you know, when you think about a guy of that size playing the position, you can't envision it because you just haven't seen it before with your own eyes. A guy at six foot seven inches tall playing the position, but um, he is a remarkable athlete. Um, just so smooth in his motions. He gets good reads. His footwork was pretty good. Um, and he's obviously got an outstanding arm, which, you know, I think we saw more of early in the year because, um, you know, some of the, you know, the routine play was a little, um, was something he had to work on early in the year. Um, you know, the, the ball that was sort of hit right at him or, or one step to his right or to his left where he, you know, that's sort of like game speed. Um, the general manager, Ben Sherrington, alluded to at some point early in the year um, on his radio show about how, you know, the the plays that you make at game speed 
Um, it takes some time to sort of get back into that rhythm. And I, and I definitely observed that with O'Neill this year. Um, but, uh, you know, by, you know, by game 25 or game 30, I was saying to myself, you know, this guy looks like a totally fine infielder. And, you know, there, I think there's always going to be some conversation about him being in the outfield. Um, you know, he never got in there in a game this year. Um, and people see the bat is so good that they say to themselves, well, you know, you just got to get him in the lineup every day. And I understand that. But, you know, I think he made enough improvement there over the course of the season that he sort of, that he proved to me that he can play the position in the big leagues. Now, speaking of O'Neill Cruz in the big leagues, he comes up and makes a real big splash um, on his way to the big leagues, n- number one. But then once he gets there, what did you see from him? That Did anything really change or – or how did you see that from your eyes as far as how Cruz did when he got that call? I just think, you know, a guy with that much talent brings so much energy to all of his teammates. Um, you know, that was something I observed when he came back from the injury in mid-late August where, um, you know, the energy in the dugout was just different when he would, you know, rip off an extra base hit or hit a home run. You know, you could really see – a, a much bigger energy across the dugout and it sort of raised the level of everybody around him. Um, you know, his first game back in the lineup, you know, Altoona scored 16 runs um, against Richmond. So, you know, I, I think it's sort of, in some ways it, you know, let the lineup sort of get back to what it looked like normally at the beginning of the year, allowing guys to hit the positions they were used to. Um, but also, you know, it was, it was clear from just some of the ways that, you know, other guys on the roster would interact with his highlights after games. I mean, I can't tell you the number of times that guys like Kanan Smith and Jigba or Cal Mitchell or Brad Case or Jeff Passantino would interact with a highlight of his on Twitter being like, this guy is unbelievable. And, you know, I've been around the minors, you know, eight, 10 years now. And in social media, like you don't see players have a lot of interaction with in-game with highlights that happen in game. You know, people, you know, players, you know, teammates saying this is something I've never seen before or this is something that is special. You know, guys jumping on Twitter after a game like that, I think sort of spoke to how all of his teammates recognized that he is such a special talent. And he's played Pittsburgh for a long time if, as long as uh, as long as he keeps hitting the ball. Now, you've seen him hit. What I would imagine amounts to hundreds of home runs because you're at the ballpark early enough to see him take BP. Is there a home run that you've seen that you'll never forget from Cruz? Um, well, the one in Akron. Oh my God. Yeah. And the one in Bowie at the end of the year, the last week of the last weekend of the season, um, uh, we were in Akron. This would have been the first week of September. So after he came back from the injury, um, and Altoona was just like not swinging the bats. You know, we, I think we lost five in a row in that seven game series. Um, and it was the final day of that series and Cruz had a, you know, an estimated 465 foot bomb um, that pretty much cleared the entire ballpark in Akron, you know? So I don't know if you've been to Canal Park, but like there's a couple rows of seating that are sort of like, you know, as part of a, a tiki tent of sorts. And, you know, there's, um, tables out in right fields you know so there's actual seating out there and then above that you know there's a flat area with their kids zone so there's this big orange slide that you know kids can shoot down it's an inflatable one it's probably 20 feet tall and he landed the ball on the building behind the kids zone and it bounced out of the ballpark and you know it was one of those swings where like he hit it and everybody in the ballpark went oh my god 
Um, and that real, that just, that really stuck with me. Um, and same with, and same with the home run in Bowie the last week of the season, because, you know, Bowie was in the thick of it. You know, they needed to beat Altoona with a miraculous eighth inning rally on the final day of the season to qualify for the playoffs. Um, and, you know, all week it was like, Bowie needs three wins in this series, four wins in this series to get in. And, um, you know, Cruz hit a 3-2 pitch with two outs in the top of the ninth, like a 464-foot bomb. I mean, it was the and it's the same kind of thing. Like, he got a fastball. It was, like, right above the belt and just absolutely smoked it. Um, so I, I, I think, like, I think those two home runs will probably stick with me for a long time just because, you know, he has such incredible power. Um, and you know, you look at his body and you say, wow, he's tall. Um, but you don't look at him and say, wow, he's muscular in the way that a Mason Martin is, or in the way that some of these other guys are, but I, I he, he's one of the strongest guys I've ever seen hit a baseball. And, you know, it, it, he doesn't look super muscular because his arms are that much longer than an average baseball player. Um, so yeah, he's just he's an incredible talent, man. I, so fortunate to watch him this year. Yeah, and I mean he he's obviously very impressive, and and I'm not sure if I told this story um, on on this podcast or, or anything, but it was a story that got kind of left on the cutting room floor um, because uh, O'Neill, anytime I would try to talk to him this summer, uh, obviously things just didn't go my way and it, it didn't line up. But I was going to put together a piece on when I threw batting practice to him and and the 28 or 2019 season, it just, it's just a different kind of ball um, that comes off and a different kind of sound that comes off of his bat. And he, he, they say light tower power. And honestly, this is like across the street type of power from O'Neill Cruz. Yeah. I mean, you say light tower power and that's because, you know, when he stands in the box, he's as tall as a light tower. (laughs) It's a different spin on it, but yes. Yeah. Um, Um, yeah, he's he's an incredible talent. I, you know, Cal Mitchell has this sort of this joke, and you know, he shared it at the end of the year when he was at Indy, when he was asked about him by some of the media there in Indianapolis. Um, he was like, you know, O'Neill Cruz is what happens when Kevin Durant is born in the Dominican Republic and decides to play baseball. And you know, I, I just I hadn't heard Cal say that before, but I'm sure that's you know something he has joked about and 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 thought about for years because you know they they were teammates of Bradenton at 19 and before that um but like he said that and it was like really impactful to me I was like you know he really is such a specimen of a physical like such a physical specimen that like you know he could be playing basketball and he would probably be you know if he were born in Florida and you know he was playing basketball at age nine, 10, 11 years old, he'd probably be playing division one basketball, right? Like he might be an NBA player at six foot seven inches tall. Right. Um, he's just an incredible athlete. No. And, and he wasn't even the, he wasn't even the only Cruz on this team. Omar Cruz, I thought had a very good year uh, for the curve as well. For sure. And, you know, I really respect that transition there, Jared, that, that was some big league stuff. We're on um, cruise control. <laughs> And it's funny that we talk about Omar now because, you know, he his stature is so different from O'Neal, right? Like, 
Omar Cruz is listed, I think, six foot tall, but, you know, he, he's barely six foot tall if he is six foot tall. Um, and, you know, he's a guy that sort of got better and better as the year went on and just sort of grew into one of the most consistent arms in the Altoona rotation down the stretch of the year. Um, and, you know, I, I love his mechanics. You know, I just sort of love I love that toe tap that he has going. He's got a good rhythm. Um, you know, he's got good. Vi- he's just got good vibes. And, um, you know, I think I think he's got a chance to pitch in the big leagues for a while because he throws right around 90 miles an hour and he can really spin the ball. Um, and, you know, those guys that are left handed that can spin the baseball, um, you know, those are the ones that tend to hang around. Yeah, and if you're left-handed and you're able to do that, you're a very serviceable player. I mean, you look at some of the guys that have been around and and a former curve player, Zach Duke, I think is a perfect example. Um, he's been around the league for what seems like forever since I was since I was way younger than what I am now. And, and now he's left-handed and, and there is a market for, for that. And do you see him as more of a starter or more of a reliever at the next level? Um. Tough to say right now. I mean, he's still pretty young. Um, I would say he stays as a starter in the minors, um, though, you know, I, I wonder how much more fastball velocity is in there as he sort of grows into more physical maturity. Um, you know, if he can add another two to three miles an hour on his average fastball, then he'll probably give himself a pretty good chance to start um, because he can definitely spin that curveball. Um, he's got feel for his slider and um, and the changeup. Um, you know, it was a good weapon for him against right-handers, which he's going to need um, if he's going to stick in a starting rotation. Um, so I think it sort of remains to be seen. Um, but, you know, the fact that he had success at this level, at this age, um, I think bodes pretty well for his future. You're right. And and that's the thing. It was somebody that young and, and that serviceable already. I think that just kind of transitions really well and translates really well to the next level, whether that be AAA or, or even a, a strong spring and, and maybe even making the, the team out of camp. Yeah. And, you know, I think that's one thing that was sort of lost on Altoona this year was that, you know, the curve were playing 21 and 22 year olds at all of their significant positions in the batting order throughout the season. The league average player at double A is 23 and a half. Um, You know, so it's those guys that experience success against older competition at double A are the ones that tend to stand out and have serious big league careers. So, you know, sure, Mason Martin struck out a lot. Okay. He also hit 22 home runs and then added a couple more at AAA, playing against guys that are three and four years older than him by the time the season ended. Um, you know, same with O'Neill Cruz and Rodolfo Castro, right? Like Castro was hitting, I think, 300 with like a 350 on base percentage when he went up um, to the taxi squad and then eventually the active roster after the Adam Frazier trade in, you know, 70 some odd games at double A playing against guys that were three years older than him. Um, You know, so I think that that is something that we, that like we need to remind ourselves about that, like guys that experience success against older competition at the upper levels of the minors tend to have pretty good big league careers in front of them. No, and that's a really good point because we don't really think about it like that. We don't really kind of look at their double a success and and the quality of the competition or, or even the competition that they're facing at double a because it's the minors we don't think that that really you know in the grand scheme of things matters but it does it matters a real awful lot yeah and you know that's one of the beauties of double a baseball right like if you can have success at this level then 
you are proving on some level that you can, that you have a skill that can do it in the big leagues. Um, you know, that's one reason that I've been so fortunate that I've been so happy to be at double a for, you know, six or seven years now is that, you know, every player that, you know, an organization feels good about or thinks that thinks that has this potential to play in the big leagues, you know, they've got to prove it at double a a little bit. And, you know, I could run down a list of guys that have hit 300 and above at double a. And if there are, and if I throw you 25 names, 20 of them play in the big leagues. And some of them are stars, you know, guys like Bo Bichette and Vlad Jr. and Aaron Judge and Gary Sanchez, right? Like, you know, the guys that can do it at double A usually are the guys that end up with big league careers. And that's, you know, who is because we talked about Martin, we talk about Castro and and were you surprised by kind of their performances when they went to triple A? I know, obviously, for Castro, it was the first time he's been there all year. And same thing with and that's even with playing the majors. Were you surprised by the way that they performed at the at AAA? You know, a little bit actually. Um, I knew I, it was obvious. It it was always obvious from game five on that those are talented guys and that they had the ability to do it. Um, I think the reason I was surprised is that it felt like the last two or three weeks of the AA season that we were seeing a little bit of fatigue certainly felt that way when it came to Castro um, because obviously he was in big league camp, which starts what late February this year. And then he was at the alternate training site. He was back at, you know, played every day at double a and, you know, his performance down the stretch of the season, you know, it, it just sort of looked like he, he was just feeling the cumulative effect of going every day since late February. And, you know, after a year off, that's natural, right? Like that your body is going to wear down a little bit. Um, but that, I think that's why I experienced uh, that. I think that's why I, I felt a little surprised. Um, it's not that I didn't think that those guys wouldn't have success there. I, you know, I very much believe that guys like Castro and Martin and Mitchell, like they're going to play in the big leagues for a long time. But, you know, I, I, th- it was very encouraging to see them, go and experience success against much older competition at that point in the season when their body was warmed down. Now, what is the biggest difference um, to kind of just in general between double A AA and triple A? Because obviously there's a letter, but it's a little bit more than just that, right? It's a little, like they say that they're starting to pitch. Now the pitchers aren't just throwers in double A, but what's that difference? What's that step up from double A AA to triple A? Um, my understanding of it is the command of secondary pitches is significantly better. Um, you know, at double A, if you can land your breaking ball on either side of the plate, you're probably going to have some success, assuming you can manipulate it to throw it out of the zone and then, you know, still throw your fastball for strikes. Um, but from a hitting perspective, you once you see a guy second and third and fourth time at double A, and if they're only landing their breaking ball on, say, either the inner half or the outer half against you, you can sort of get ready for that. Um, but I think, you know, guys at AAA can land their secondary stuff more often to both sides of the plate and to different quadrants of the strike zone. And, you know, that's an adjustment in its own right. Um, and I think there's a lot more thinking along um, that hitters have to do with pitchers. Um so I, I would say that that's what 
that's sort of been my observation of what I've been told, you know, when I ask executives or scouts about that kind of thing. Um, you know, from a pitching perspective, it's, it's probably a little bit different because you've got, you know, hitters that have smaller zones that you can take advantage of. Um, so you have to be, you know, more fine with your command. You have to control the baseball better. Um, and, you know, you have to be able to read your opponent's swings better in order to have more success at AAA. So, you know, looking back on this season, who was the prospect that kind of really took you, like surprised you and really came out of the woodwork this year? Um, you know, there's, there's two names that came to mind um, when you asked me that question. Um, I didn't – Jiwon Bay is definitely one of them. Um, we only saw him play second base all year, but from what I understand, he is an outstanding shortstop as well. Um, and, you know, a guy that can – play both middle infield spots and run the way he can um that's that's a pretty good that's a pretty good profile to start with um and then it felt like he started to grow into a little more power this year um and that's going to be key for him you know if he's going to be a guy that you can rely on for occasional doubles and triples and occasional home runs in addition to the elite level speed um, you know, that's, that's going to let him hang around for a while, for quite a while. And, you know, the fact that he can play some center field also is going to make him highly valuable, um, to any team that's able to, that can keep him on the 40 man roster because he can play three premium positions, you know, two of them pretty well, um, at second base and short. And then, you know, as he gains more experience in center field, the fact that he can run, I think gives him a pretty good chance to, to be a, a pretty good center fielder also. Um, and if he, you know, continues to hit for power, um, that's going to be a really good sign for him. Um, the other guy who just, who just blew me away this year was Matt Frazier. I, you know, we had a very good outfield all season long in Altoona. Um, but when Matt showed up and was hitting for power and was playing a plus center field, um, I was pretty caught by that. And, you know, Frazier's a guy that even though he's going to be a little bit older, I think, what, he's going to be 24 at the start of next season um, or, you know, turning 24 at some point during the year next year. Um, that's a guy who's going to play in the big leagues for a while because he can hit for power and he can play center field. And, you know, that's that's a really good combination for a player. Bay was always intriguing to me because of obviously the, the middle infield aspect. He was pre, um, pre, predominantly a shortstop, but anytime that you can play shortstop and play second base, it's good. Now he was a guy that ended up getting hurt um, early in the season. And then when he came back was when he found that power stroke. And I think that was the game changer for the rest of the year for him. Yeah, I think so. Um, you know, he didn't hit a professional home run until he went on went out on that rehab assignment in early July uh, when he was playing in, in the FCL, the Florida Coast League. Um, and then he came back to Altoona and he hit, what, five more? So I think he finished with six for the year. Um, and, you know, he hit one home run. I want to say it was probably, I think it was late July, maybe the third or fourth week back. Um, we played Harrisburg at the end of July. And he hit a home run to left center in Altoona, which for a left-hand batter is not easy. You know, like Mason Martin will go out there. Okay, right? He's got 80-grade power. Odio Cruz will go out there. Sure, you know, 80-grade power. But, like, Bay hit one to left center this year. And, you know, I remember in that moment being like, oh, my God, it's in there. Like, there, there's a little bit of pop in there. Um, so, you know, like I, like I was saying before, you know, if he can – 
give you an occasional extra base hit, you know, that's just going to make his speed that much more valuable over the course of the season. Right. And, you know, you talked, you brought up Matt Frazier. I think Matt Frazier is the guy that popped out for everybody this year with the season that he had in Greensboro. And then he didn't miss a beat when he came up to double A. Yeah. I mean, you know, he, he, he talked about, you know, he talked about this with um, Mike Persack of the Pittsburgh Post-Gazette when he was in Greensboro about sort of the adjustment he made to try to hit the ball a little bit more out front of his body, because that, you know, is, is the place where he could unlock some of his power. Um, and what's interesting is he made that adjustment after the 2019 season, right? He's drafted in the third round in 19 at, out of Arizona. Um, and then after the year, you know, he sits down at Instructs and he sits down with, you know, some of the hitting coordinators um, and executives and player development. And they say, you know, this is an adjustment that we think will help you to some more game power. And he just never had a chance to use it, right? Like, he, you know, 2020 gets wiped out and he can't, do what he learned at the end of 19 that that minor adjustment and it turned out to be big for him um so i'm a big fan of his game you know i i think that guy's gonna play in the big leagues for a while where do you think he's gonna start next year because obviously he finished in double a do you think he can he stays in double a or do you think he gets bumped up to triple a i would imagine he starts at double a um he played something like 40 games maybe just under 40 games um, you know, so I would imagine that unless he has like an absolutely bananas spring training and, you know, looks incredible, um, I would think there's a pretty good chance he opens a tough play next year. Now, one last thing before I let you go here, who is kind of the guy that, you know, you expect more from next year that, that you think kind of is on the cusp of that breakout, but really could take the next step this year or this year coming up, I should say. Boy, you uh, you leave the good questions for the end, huh? Save the best for last. That's what that's what they tell me. Um, you know, I you know, and this is not to slight what he did in 2021, but it feels like there is much more production to come from Kane and Smith and Jigba. Um, you know, he had almost a 400 on base percentage for Alcina this year, and about 70 games. You know, he had a leg injury here, leg injury there. Um, but I would say that there's there's more production in that bat. There is more power um, that we didn't really see in game this year. He hit uh, six, maybe seven home runs. Um, and, you know, I think that since he is since he has probably the best strike zone discipline of any player I saw at double A this year, um, I think that there is a pretty there's a pretty good chance that he takes that step from knowing the strike zone so well to knowing when a hittable pitch is coming and taking advantage of that because he has such a good idea of what the strike zone is and, and where he does the most damage. Um, I just feel like he needs a little bit more repetition, right? Like if, you know, that he just needs more games. And, you know, I think the pirates recognize that with his injury this year by, um, you know, sending him to triple a for the final stretch. And now he's in Arizona doing fall league this, you know, he just started today. Um, you know, he just needs more repetition, but I, I, I really feel like there's more average and a little bit more power in, uh, in Kane and Smith and Jake, whether we haven't seen yet. I think he's one of the most underrated guys in that, in the trade with the Yankees uh, to get Tyon or to send Tyon there and, and, and to get the package they got there and, uh, or got in Pittsburgh for that. 
And he's, a, he, you're right. I think he does need those, those repetitions. I, I think he needs to stay a little bit more healthy. Um, but I think he could really start to turn some heads um, with a good off season, a healthy off season. And even with his performance in the fall league. Yeah. I mean, I, I think that's key for him, right. To have a healthy off season where he can continue to build his body. You know, he's 22 also. And, um, you know, he's a guy with a pretty, pretty good head on his shoulders. You know, he's, he's very well-spoken. Um, you know, he, he is very interested in the information he puts in the work from what I understand, you know, uh, off the field in terms of preparation. Um, and you know, if he can, you know, if he can tighten up his body a little bit and, and grow into a little bit more power then um, you know, he's just another guy who's, who's got a skill that's going to keep him in the big leagues for a while because he has such a good idea of the strike zone and how to take advantage of it. No, and I think that's probably one of the most important tools that you could ever have in the game of baseball, no matter what level. And that's going to play at every level as well. Um, a guy that I thought was, was fun to watch this year was, uh, was Trey McGo, uh, a Johnstown native. He was the first local guy to really suit up for the curve. Um, but he was one of the most consistent pitchers on the mound for the curve this year. Oh, my God. Yeah. I mean, he's the Altoona curve pitcher of the year for a reason. Um, and, you know, his first start in Richmond, you, you sort of had to squint a little bit to see what it was and what and who he was as a pitcher. Um, and then his second, you know, his second start was his first one at home and he just didn't throw a lot of strikes. And I was like, I'm not really that sure yet. And then I think it was, I think it was his third or his fourth start where he can't, it was his third start, right? His very next one where he threw something like 50 of his first 58 pitches for strikes. And I was like, Hmm. He's going to throw a lot of strikes. And then you look at it a little bit closer and you see it's a pretty good breaking ball and he throws 91 to 93. Um, and the slider's pretty good. He's got feel for the changeup. He knows how to pitch. Um, he's going to be around for a while. He, he's a good player. Um, really enjoyed having Trey this year. Um, and, you know, goes back to a little bit like what we were talking about with Omar Cruz, you know, those guys that throw at least 90 miles an hour, they're left-handed, they throw some strikes and they can spin the ball. Those are the guys that hang around the big leagues for a while. And, you know, Trey absolutely has that profile. And you know, there's several scouts that I talked to this year that were saying the same thing, you know, not hundred percent sure that he's going to stick as a starter in the big leagues. Um, you know, a couple scouts that I talked to this year were, were just sort of saying, you know, I, I just need to see a little bit more before I say for sure. Um, but, um, there is the definite skill set to be there for a while. And, you know, he's a guy that I could see making something like four or five starts in double A to start next year and then spending the rest of the year in triple A, um, because I think he's that good. Right. And I think, you know, he's a guy that flew under the radar for me. I really didn't know much about him, um, until he made that start and uh, the first home start. And then you're this you were right. I mean, it was just kind of like, eh, okay, let's see what he's got. And it's early in the season, first game action for many of those uh, minor leaguers in, in quite some time. The weather's still kind of iffy. And then it just kind of got consistently better over the year. And I think that's the biggest thing, too, is that consistency never went away. And when you're a pitcher and you face that and you have that consistency, that's a recipe for success for a long time if you can continue that, that, tra uh, that trail of consistency. Totally. I mean, you know, clean delivery works quick. Um, you know, there, there's, there's a lot to like when it comes to Trey. Um, and, and like I said, you know, it would not surprise me if 
he's a guy that shows up and pitches very well at spring training that he may end up in the triple a rotation to start the year depending on how um you know the 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 pitching sort of shakes out to start the season um but he's a guy that i that i can see moving pretty quickly to triple a next year no and i think that's uh that's a very good point it it'll be interesting to see where where a couple of these guys land because some of them or most of them deserve that triple a nod but there are only so many roster spots both triple a double a and and wherever else for sure and you know i i don't know the indie rotation as intimately as i knew, knew the altoona one this year but um i'm fairly sure that marvel and solcer are both back um that they're not minor league free agents yet it pretend, i mean maybe bo is um i'd have to look um but i think most of the guys marvel most of the guys that made nearly every turn in the triple a rotation i think will be back next year and obviously you're going to need a flex spot or two because, you know, you'll have young guys like your hooray and Kranich sort of probably shuttling back and forth a little bit next year. Um, you know, triple A rotations are always pretty hard to project, especially in October. Um, but uh, you know, it's part of the fun of it. And uh, you know, I, I just, like I was saying before, you know, I think, you know, Contreras is a guy that probably opens there next year. Um, you know, unless, uh, unless he has a great spring training and, forces his way onto the major league roster in April. Um, so, you know, it's, it's, it's nice to see some of those guys um, at, in the starting pitching area start to make some real progress because, you know, that's a, that's a key for the, for the next contending team in Pittsburgh. No, that's a, that's a good point. And it's never, you know, it's never a bad thing to have too much depth um, or too many arms either uh, for that matter. But as always, I'll let you get back to your off season we greatly appreciate you joining the podcast. Um, thanks to, to John Moses, Director of Broadcasting and Communications uh, for the Altoona Curve. Um, thank you, as always, for joining the, the Pirates podcast to be named later. We'll catch you for this last and final segment here after this break. back to the Pirates podcast to be named later. Uh, we thank John Moses as always for being a great friend of the program and, and for joining us in the off season. Alex, it's time for the third segment free for all. You can go since I started this segment. <laughs> Thanks. You know, I, I like, I like these, you know, longer interviews that you do. It makes my life a lot easier. I'm not saying that I don't enjoy doing this, but you know, I could, I could, you know, put my feet up. I could, you know, crack a beer. You know, that, that's actually how we did this whole show. You know, we, we did the segment and then I, you know, patiently waited for the 30 minutes. John was on, you know, the call the entire time, ready to go. You know, that's how it actually works. Not you did that beforehand and then you spliced it in there. But Yeah, and, and I, there's, nothing, there's nothing I like more than watching Alex drink while I do all of my stuff um, and, and really just kind of take that weight off of his shoulders. I know, like, he's got a lot of hair and that's a lot of weight to hold, hold, hold him down. But, you know, the biggest thing with uh, with that is, you know, I, it's my job. You know, I'm, I'm here to take the burden off of people. I'm the I, I lessen the burden uh, on pretty much everybody and everybody, anybody and everybody uh, that I can um, around the site. And, and our, especially on our beat uh, with the Pirates, I take up the minor league system. I take up pretty much whatever Alex doesn't want to do. He tells me, hey, I don't want to do this. I then have to do it. 
Is that actually how this arrangement could go? No. <laughs> no, you're not getting any ideas from me, Alex. I should not have suggested that. Um, I, I need you to write 2,000 words on Yoshi Sutsugo's future in Major League Baseball. I will give you a play-by-play of dra- uh, racing Mario Kart as Yoshi. Are you gonna? Do you have a switch? I do not have a switch. Oh, I don't. I don't have any game. The um, the last gaming system I have is an Xbox 360. Okay. See, I was gonna say the switch is getting the N64 games. It's like that's what you know we should do. We could actually race on Mario Kart 64. Uh, I think that's a great idea. Uh, my birthday is. You don't have a switch though. I can always get one. It's not oh. hard. Come on, Alex. Uh, <laughs> spoken like someone who's never. Yeah, you haven't been keeping up with Nintendo. It's well, it, there have been times whenever it's easier to to get like a kidney than a Switch. Well, you never know when you're going to need one of those either. Um, but I think that's a really good idea for the off season. Maybe that would be the third segment is who beats who in Mario Kart 64. People Alex just look at us playing Mario Kart 64, and this will turn into a video podcast. We'll talk over. Um, we'll talk Pirates baseball while we race. Um, we'll have to clear it with the FCC because I'm pretty sure um, there will be some foul language in there uh, that will not be appropriate better. for minors. No, no, it's me playing Mario Kart. It's going to be a hard NC-17. And if you want to listen to that hard NC-17 podcast, be sure to subscribe wherever you find fine podcasts like this one, like every other one that we have here on the DK Pittsburgh Sports podcasting network any last words jared i I, i'm going to go out and get a switch as soon as i can just so i can beat mario kart yes i'm i'm ready for this i'm all about this let's do this for jared pugar hi i'm alex stone thank you so much for listening we'll talk again next week